2: Greetings comrades and welcome to the Eastern Border. This time we return to our more edited segments and everything away from just the shorter news episodes that we've been doing lately to have a conversation about Putin and information in this these hard times for all of us and I'm joined here by Perry from the Red Line podcast. Please do introduce yourself.
0: Hey everyone, I'm Perry. I'm a senior researcher at the Red Line podcast and I'm specialized in disinformation, misinformation, propaganda, um, usually focusing on Russia because of that. And I'm also specialized in Africa and Middle East, but definitely with disinformation, um, there's a lot of Russia involved.
2: I suppose currently totally is because just wow. I was wondering about this whole situation. Do you have any information on? how the countries in the Middle East and Africa are even reacting to this, because obviously all we hear now is is what NATO thinks about the situation and what's happening here in Europe, but uh, I was really moved by the, the speech that the Kenyan representative in the United Nations gave, and and it moved me about how he was against this invasion. Maybe you have any news on that?
0: Yeah, definitely. The Kenyan speech was incredible. I think it was the first time people were giving a notice to these developing countries and the words they were saying. and They had such strong speeches like Ghana and Kenya in particular. As for the Middle East, it's been quite neutral. I mean, everyone has called for dialogue, including the Taliban. The Taliban put out a statement calling for dialogue and a peaceful solution. I mean, the irony in that for starters. But um, yeah, most of the countries in the Middle East have just, you know, spoken to Putin or spoken to Zelensky. And just called for dialogue. There hasn't really been any hard stance yet.
2: The Taliban, it's it's interesting because I remember that when Lukashenko stole that Mig plane, passenger plane, and forced it to land with the Mig,
0: mm. and he
2: claimed it was a terrorist attack uh, caused by you know the, the Taliban, the bomb, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and then the Taliban actually very much distanced themselves and. It was a weird situation here that, you know, when you're so crazy as a dictator, then even, even Taliban want nothing to do with your regime. And they considered you to be a really evil, weird person. That was a whole new level.
0: I know. That says a lot. <laughs> it is a whole new level. This is the world we're in now. 2022.
2: Oh, yeah. And it's, it's just what? February? Yeah. We, we thought it would get better, but it truly, really, really isn't.
0: We haven't even made it to March. Just think about that. <laughs>
2: Interesting part here when we talk about this information what's happening here in the war is that i've been following the russian media lately a lot obviously and they just keep portraying this as this operation that they've had no basically no other way how to solve this situation and i'm actually genuinely surprised by how many people buy into their story about how ukraine has been for 8 years bombing donbas which really hasn't happened i've been there I've, I've seen what's happening there with my own eyes so i could mm-hmm. i could assure everyone who's listening that no ukraine hadn't been doing any genocide or anything and a lot of these stories were just invented whole cloth and if you remember there was this famous one about the squeezed little boy who was dumped in in concrete the russian media just invented insanely crazy stories and and i guess that's how their propaganda machine works really that's- if you if you look at everyone who's doing these things, I'm really happy that um, Vladimir Solovyov is finally getting his comeuppance because we've had a long-standing conflict with him for a long time because he likes to bash the West for everything, yet he has villas in Italy and Spain and everywhere. And I think, I suppose that's true for all of them. They all kind of want to spend their money in the West, but keep bashing it, I suppose, and, and just spreading this. I don't even know, I want to call it lies. It's it's more than that.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think it's really interesting with the whole case study of the Donbass region, because if you look internally, like within Russia, you know, the people who really believe this narrative, they just have been subjected to years and years of censorship and information and propaganda that they just don't look elsewhere. So they're just stuck in kind of this insular narrative and believing it. With that being said, though, there has been so many people and so much support within Russia, you know, calling for no war in Ukraine. Um, you're even seeing oligarch children coming out now and posting that it's Putin's war, it's not Russia's war, which, you know, is very interesting. We've got the oligarch kids speaking out. Um, and then externally, you know, I'm seeing there's some like people from across the world, you know, believing this like misinformation, Or disinformation narrative that Ukraine never registered their borders with the UN. It's making rounds on WhatsApp. And for most people, like, this is a part of the world that they really didn't look at much, especially Donbass. Like, you know, I think the average person didn't know what that was until this week. So, all of a sudden, it's pretty easy to get stuck in these narratives circulating. But yeah, this is one crazy rumor going around right now that the UN Secretary-General has said that, you know, Ukraine never registered their borders since 1991. Which is just, it's just ludicrous, honestly.
2: Well, I mean, I think that at least people who listen to uh, both of our shows have learned quite a bit about countries they probably haven't haven't heard before. I know that Turkmenistan is your show's favorite country, so. Uh,
0: it should be everyone's favorite country. It is interesting. Um, I don't know if you follow, like, I think his name's Alistair Coleman on Twitter, and he, like, every day is posting a photo with Bernie Mikhamidov's neck, and how he like photoshops it, so it's completely smooth. It's incredible.
2: To those of you who don't know, uh, Turkmenistan is also a post of its fear country in Central Asia, which is run by probably the world's weirdest dictator.
0: Weirdest. Underline that.
2: (laughs) That country even renamed uh, the days of the week and months for various people tied to the family, and they have their special book. It's crazy, but we should return to that some other time because right now it's yeah. we're focusing on this. <laughs> what I've been receiving lately is that a lot of people have asked me about why Ramzan Kadyrov, instead of uh, you know maybe going his own way and doing some separatist movements inside Russia right now while he has the opportunity, why he has joined this whole mess and why is he personally sending his own Kadyrov to troops and to explain what are Kadyrov to? They're not members of the Russian military per se, they're basically Kadyrov's personal army, because, yeah, he's the only regional governor uh, who's allowed to have his own personal army. And uh, he's also promised his soldiers $30,000 per tank that they destroy, $20,000 per armored personal carrier, and $5,000 for any volunteer fighter they kill, which basically means that Ramzan Kadyrov is now paying uh, his troops to kill civilians who have guns now. Which is interesting since, well, the average salary in, in Chechnya, it's one of the poorest regions, is 20,000 rubles. And I'm just going to check how much it is in, in euros. It's at uh, 211 euros or about $220. So those incentives are, are pretty big. Why do you think he's done that? Because for me, the answer is quite, quite obvious about his... Weirdness, how Ramzan really doesn't have Chechnya's interests in mind at all.
0: Well, exactly. I mean, he's Putin's ally, and he keeps Chechnya kind of in check. They have like a deal, and you know, him becoming the president of Chechnya, he was just you know placed there under a deal. So he's going to be loyal to the Kremlin. Just on the fact that we've seen these images emerge, it was yesterday. Soldiers of Chechen soldiers, like groups of them, and photos. I don't think anyone has actually seen. The move, though, they've seen like these images come out and this kind of strength shown, but there actually hasn't. And, you know, this podcast is coming out later, so this could age badly, but there hasn't been any sign of them actually moving towards the border. So that's something to keep an eye on if this is just something, you know, just stir the pot. There's a notorious kind of fear, you know, of Chechnya and Chechen soldiers that they're scary, that they're aggressive, that they have different tactics. And I think there is like a fear, you know, so I think part of it is an information war and, you know, scaring Ukraine and scaring the other side at the moment. But in terms of like the actual movement, I haven't seen anything yet. I haven't heard of anyone saying that they're inside of Ukraine yet. So who really knows at this point?
2: Yeah, I, I guess I agree. But Ramzan Khodirov is also one of the candidates for for maybe replacing Putin. Yeah, And not because of any, in any democratic way. If, if Putin gets weak, then Ramzan is just one of the people in power who could actually do that. You, you have to always remember that uh, Ramzan Kadyrov has a lot of his people and his supporters inside Moscow.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Like ridiculous amounts of. And the Russians have a lot of problems with them. I remember that the latest news I got from there was that a Russian Ghost Duma deputy saw an old lady selling sausages nearby a mosque or something and then he just pepper sprayed her but she turned out to be chechen so ramzan kadyrov just uh, threatened with extreme violence this elected deputy so he had to go and apologize that's that's the level of of scariness we're talking about here it's an open secret basically that the chechen ramzan kadyrov's forces that killed boris nemtsov in 2014 that has never been investigated yeah they're also quite likely to be responsible for the death of Anna Politkovskaya, because that was maybe an attempt to show loyalty by Ramzan Kadyrov as a gift for Putin's birthday, no less. And, and if you think about it, that you have people running a country whose favorite gift in their birthdays is when their opposition gets murdered, thats um, that says quite a lot.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it's going to be very alarming if we see them starting to pop up. I mean, I think a lot of what we can do now... I mean, we have no idea where this is going to go. I mean, there's so much that could change. It's a very fluid and dynamic situation within Ukraine. But we can kind of take a book from Syria and we've seen like a proxy war in Syria, also a Russian proxy war, like an extension of the Chechen war is in Syria. Chechen soldiers have gone there. But then there also, there was a point of time where Salafists had left, you know, Chechnya and went to Syria to help fight, you know, wage their jihad. And there was kind of like a Chechen versus Chechen, like proxy war inside of Syria. So I think like we can take a page from the Syrian book, like the disinformation campaigns that we're seeing coming out, you know, the kind of actions that are happening. We can kind of look at like how Syria was a playing ground to test all this for Putin.
2: Yeah. And the Syrian war also cost him a lot of money. And, and mm-hmm. as far as I know, a lot of Russians were extremely unhappy about what what had happened there since... And they were paying for their hospitals and everything. And now we have this, uh, this saying, bombить Voronezh in Russian, which basically means that after the bombings in Syria, where the Russian military did a lot of strikes to support Assad and they bombed some civilian facilities, they then gave money to Assad's government, basically to rebuild Syria. And the mayor of Voronezh, one of the Russian cities, who needed a new hospital built for years now and who had major finance issues because of how Russia works since I believe that it's more kind of useful to look at Russia as a land-based colonial empire rather than a unified state. Definitely. He proclaimed publicly that, um, well, maybe Russia could bomb Voronezh a bit so that we would also get some money for a hospital. <laughs> so bombing Voronezh is, uh, is now the statement that basically means whenever Russia does something that hurts them in the long end, and something like this, whenever Putin does something like this, is, is one of these memes that's, that's been popping up lately. But about the disinformation war and everything, I think that if Russians really wanted to intimidate Ukraine into surrendering, then they have failed miserably. Ukrainians, like I predicted, and and a lot of people predicted, are are really fighting. They're fighting really brutally and hard, and they're not afraid of their casualties. Definitely. I think that's the thing that you put in history books about those 13 sailors. Definitely.
0: And I think, like, you know, we're seeing, I don't think Putin ever expected this patriotism to come from Ukraine. You're just having people picking up arms, you're having people staying and where they are like Zelensky and Poroshenko yesterday was on CNN, like waving around a gun saying he's going to stay Zelensky um, just a few hours ago. The US asked if he wanted to evacuate uh, Kyiv and he denied it and he said he wants to stay exactly where he is. So it's just like amazing seeing these levels of like Ukrainian people coming together And, you know, the whole world is really supporting Ukraine. And it's such a great thing to see, honestly, people speaking out against Putin's actions and saying, you know, this is Putin's war, this isn't Russia's war. And they're really trying to stir up. And I think they were kind of relying on maybe the Ukraine not having like a strong enough nationalism or patriotism. They were just expecting it kind of to all crumble because when they first started their attack, they were just having these strong, campaigns to scare people inside of Ukraine. For example, one of the first campaigns that came out, they were saying that the borders were closed and that all the borders were closed and no one could leave. And that campaign ran like crazy and it just was a fear tactic. It put so much fear. It just completely played with Ukrainian people with their emotions. He also came out saying all these fake attacks, like in Odessa, that was a big one, just coming together and saying all these attacks were happening all at one time and that no one could leave It's really great to see, like them, to come together with everything going on
2: right now. At least on the political sphere, Putin's opposition that has been crushed by well, Putin throughout the years, and uh, all the journalists are also kind of showing some activity. And I'm really happy that uh, anti-war sentiments are coming out also from people whom I thought would be more pro-Kremlin. However, what's going on here is that a lot of people on the opposition side have. Basically declared that they're going to have to radicalize to get changes in Russia. Quite scary to think about that uh, the people whom I've been following for a long time, they've went from, well, we should probably do something close to law and go to protest actions, and, and then we could maybe arrange elections and make sure they're not rigged. To right now, some people are actively just talking about how maybe you should you know, go out and, and shoot Putin in the head or something. Mm-hmm. And he's been called a, a senile maniac by well basically everyone
0: from the scenes we saw last election the ballot stuffing there is so much yeah change that needs to happen in the system and that's unfortunately not going to change very soon as much as we all want it to you know the ballot stuffing the rigging of the elections the united russia party they have such a grip it's insane but it seems like it's weakening and it seems like people inside of Russia are finally realizing and getting to a saturation point you know we had last year with navalny and all the protests there and that was you know a really big step for russia and it looks like what we're having now is another big step so we're definitely going towards the right direction
2: one thing that i'm wondering about is i'm talking about the information aspect here what if putin like wins and then he takes over all of ukraine does he think he could keep it? As soon as the Russian army leaves, there's just going to be another Maidan and he'll get overthrown. He either has to keep it on the ends of bayonets to keep it going, they will have to spend ridiculous amounts of money policing the whole country constantly. What's the plan here? This doesn't seem to me that there wouldn't be one. Or, or maybe I'm just mistaken and Putin's gone completely insane, but right now he should. it should be quite obvious that, yeah, even if he wins and, and does something well... The whole of Ukraine is 44 million people. It's not just those two little border districts, even half of them like Donetsk and Lugansk where a lot of people evacuated and, and you can keep those small places in check. But um, I don't know, will, will there be any information campaigns? There must be, I guess, because Putin, even if he manages to take all of Ukraine, which I doubt he will, but, but even if he manages to win, what could possibly be his end goal? How can he? How do you think he intends to keep this whole mess together that that he'll just get.
0: I think it's all backfired on him. I don't really think he expected any of this. I don't think he expected some of the sanctions that has already hit him, especially Nord Stream 2. I think Putin's lost it. I think Lavrov has lost it. I mean, he was on TV last night, you know, like with his arms up in the air that they need to take all of Ukraine like they did with Crimea. I don't think Putin really knows an endgame. I know that he wants to, you know, annex... Ukraine that's always been a dream of his that's just in his playbook but I think like now you know maybe he's just worried about you know I think timing plays a huge factor you know seeing people rise up against him last year and seeing support for Navalny and even like the whole you know international community coming together and like also talking about Navalny like we all went from not knowing who who he was to he was on the screens of almost every news channel in the world and I think that really scares him. It's the first time he's really had some like direct opposition with a loud international voice who is appealing to a younger generation because that's where he's weak in the young generation. You know, anyone who was alive during the Soviet Union who's still in Russia feels as if things did get better. You know they're not great, but they did get better. And it's the young generation who are kind of more pushing for the change and most of those protests that were going on with Navalny, they were all young people out there. And I think he's just seeing huge threat there. And he's just thinking, you know, how can I stir up nationalism? How can I get people on my side? He's tried campaigns. Like one of his big campaigns is that he is a defender of Christianity. You know, he presents his Orthodox faith so closely that he's a devout Orthodox. And I think like he's realizing some of his plays that he's had before aren't working anymore. So it looks like he's just, I think he's lost
2: it <laughs> he's 69 at this point he's old <laughs> he might not look like it but um well the fact that he's been getting plastic surgeries is, is again an open secret most likely plastic surgery is given to his body doubles because he certainly has some because i remember that um, a few years ago i think it was 2019 putin managed to give a speech in crimea and then two hours later in vladivostok that's impossible to make Unless he was flown in with, with uh, even with a military jet, that would be insane to just get him from Crimea to Vladivostok. So he definitely has something. Or, or that he has pre-recorded stuff.
0: Pre-recorded? I think a lot of things are pre-recorded now. Because initially when the live stream came out of him announcing the war, I was watching it from the start. And as soon as I clicked on it, when I saw it go live, I was like, this is from two days ago. He's sitting back in the seat. I've seen this position before. And then I realized he had just pre-recorded the whole thing.
2: Yeah, and it was weird because uh, apparently some people from Bellingcat, the research journalists, they found out that this call attack thing had been recorded on the 21st.
0: Mm, yeah, the metadata showed it all.
2: The same day that he uh, kind of uh, accepted this thing. And, and also an important part that was probably aimed at the West is that he gathered before announcing his attack, his state security council publicly on the television and you could see all these people other people in the council being just scared and intimidated and they got asked one by one what putin should do even though we all know that the answer was obvious but but these council meetings that usually secret they're not publicized and i think that maybe and not only me Yulia Lotinina and other russian journalists think that this is maybe to spread out the guilt if this fails
0: yeah absolutely
2: that's a kind of a Russian organized crime move because he associates the others with, with his crimes so that they have nowhere to go.
0: Yeah, I think there was always a a possibility that he would fail and I think that was his worst case scenario. But everything he does is really kind of a symbolic and getting everyone in the room, particularly you know, these big names the oligarchs, to share the blame is so important because for him recently he's just had, you know, the name Poon 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 thrown around and to stir it all up, he definitely needs to share the blame. So I completely agree with your theory.
2: <laughs> it just just seems that way. And talking also about Lavrov and, and Putin, I want to reiterate this because I've mentioned this on the previous episodes, but a lot of people, specifically before all this started, just didn't believe me when I told them that Putin views negotiations as, as a weakness, personally. Because if you looked at Lavrov's speech, he, um, he used the phrase, I think it was an interview to the Russian TV or something. He said, but sans and that's a prison slang term for, to keep your word, basically, but in the very, very Russian mafia laws kind of way. And, and Putin being from the KGB and Lavrov also being from thereabouts and Putin having been involved with organized crime in the 90s, yeah, they, they know these panacea, these, these laws of the mafia, and they kind of live by them. And according to those laws, there, there is no deal. There's only the one who's the honest, honorable thief and the one, the one loch, as we call them, who gets scammed. Basically, if you if you want to look at how and why Putin just disregards all international treaties, look at it from this position. I mean, it makes total sense. Putin isn't interested in making something mutually beneficial. He views that as dishonorable. He just wants to scam people because hey, why not? Yeah, no. that's literally how they operate in the mafia system.
1: Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: I wonder, you know, a lot of people have been curious about why we couldn't have a diplomatic solution here. Well, I don't know. How can you have a diplomatic solution with a guy that's a permanent liar and that you know that he'll just lie and everything. He'll lie all the time about all the treaties and and how in Russia it's perfectly legal by their constitution to just ignore international treaties. I I actually don't know. Do do any other country have such a precedent where they can legally put their own stuff above international deals? I think that at least mine doesn't and most don't, but hey, you you might know some.
0: None, None that I'm aware of, but just on that, like there's not going to be a diplomatic solution because he's not a diplomatic person. He's constantly undermined international organizations like the United Nations. He has never signed the International Criminal Court, which is one thing, you know, people coming out saying now, like, oh, we're gonna get investigations, there's war crimes happening. The man's never signed it. Russia isn't a member, so it's gonna be very difficult to get any kind of, you know, justice for this. But he constantly is undermining these international authorities, these international bodies, that it's going to be very hard, very extremely hard for him to get a dip, or anyone to get a diplomatic solution in this. You know, put his declaration for war at the same time that his presidency was sitting at the UN like, Security Council. This isn't a diplomatic man, and I think, like, you know, I it, I think it was a few hours ago, Hungary offered, you know, Orbán, who's, you know, a big friend of Putin's, And up for re election as well, very soon. He offered uh, Budapest to be a place of negotiation. But I think, like, even that is not really the smartest idea because Zelensky wants to be on the front lines. He's, you know, showing so much support for his country. I don't think he's going to leave and go to Budapest for, you know, any kind of negotiation. Nor, I don't think he should even trust it in this case as well.
2: And it's kind of ironic that it's Budapest where this has been proposed, seeing that Budapest memorandum was the one that russia just utterly ignored so yeah <laughs> going back to the same place to get scammed again yeah i don't i don't think
1: so hello and thank you for listening to another episode of the eastern border as always a big thank you to all of our patreons the show would not be possible without your support if you're not a patreon and would like to become one head over to patreon.com slash the eastern border but remember you can also support us directly on our website the to catch up on all things Eastern Border all the time, make sure to follow us on our social media like Facebook, Twitter, and Discord. And if you have any questions or suggestions, write a comment or message us directly on Facebook. We'll be happy to hear from you. That's all from me now. See you online. This podcast brought to you by Russian VoiceOvers.eu. Enjoy!
2: I think this is a this is a Soviet problem with a very Soviet uh, solution, which involves either lead bullets or uh, ice picks used in in innovative and and curious new ways. But we'll we'll have to see because I don't think that at this point Putin could even leave power peacefully, and stay alive. I I believe that if he's going to go, then the Russian people or the Ukrainians or whomever, they're just going to come after him. And I I don't see a way how Putin can. Exit this and and stay power for the long term. Because this is, well, this is it. Because. Definitely. Russia's economy is just doomed. And and even if Putin wins this war, I don't know, what does he think? The sanctions will go away? At this point, I think that if if Ukraine manages to get some more help from the West and get more more weapons and everything, okay, they, Lugansk and Donetsk, they might even remain their own separate little things, probably uniting in one. I don't think Ukraine wants that part back as badly but uh, without crimea returning to ukraine i i really don't see the sanctions being lifted because i think they're tied together now and even if putin stops, stops aggression and leaves ukraine right now then i think these sanctions will just stick around until the crimea situation is, is finally solved
0: I agree. I don't think these sanctions are going anywhere. I mean, we've seen hard responses from people in the international community. For example, Macron, he is going hard against this. He's pushing for SWIFT. He is pushing for exclusion from SWIFT, sorry. You know, he even said during his EU speech of them announcing sanctions they were going to put against Russia, he said, we will do our own sanctions as well. He's really placed himself headfirst as the enemy of the European Union and also NATO. Um, and that's a position that it's hard to step down from there. You're not really going to get away from there that easily. You know, you've made yourself an enemy of the West. You have brought along all the dialogue with it. You've brought along all the action, all the plays. The whole playbook is being used. So it's it's going to be really hard to step down from there. And I don't think sanctions are going to go that easily. I mean, you can just take a look at Iran, for example. They were excluded from SWIFT, I think it was in 2014. And, you know, they still have sanctions on them. Their economy is really struggling. You know, the Iranian people are struggling completely. And, you know, all those sanctions are being completely felt on the ground. So I I don't really know how Putin's really going to get out of this. As for him, you know, it's hard to see him getting replaced completely. I mean, there's a lot of people speculating like, oh, the defense minister is being trained to be the next Putin. I mean, I don't think anyone can really take over from him or have like the firm grip that he has had for this many years. The younger generation is coming up and they're rising up and they're really looking for change. You know, we've seen it like in Belarus as well. So I think like these, you know, strong men are really going to fade away into the new generation coming up.
2: Yeah. And this is is kind of obvious if you look at his speech and his whole address to the nation, which which I was unlucky enough to have to translate for foreign policy because they called me up that day and I spent all night translating this and, and I read this in Russian, his speech addressed to the nation, when you're tasked to explain, translate this into to English and explain this to Americans and you have time until tomorrow morning and then you look at this nonsensical mess of a text that basically is not even wrong because it's so bizarre that I couldn't even understand what he was trying to say there for a long while and then you have to translate it from one language to another and explain this to Americans, yeah, that was, that was weird. But about this information, I wanted to specifically say that the Defense Ministry of Russia, which um, is a really bad name at this point, they should have just called it the War Ministry and be honest about it. Yeah, they've been hiding all the casualty numbers, completely. All the casualty numbers that we have are from independent sources and from the Ukrainian side. Although, obviously, as in every war, they might be exaggerated. But um, the Russian side has not reported on any casualties. They're picking the same strategy as in Afghanistan during the Soviet era, that they'll just pretend that there are no no fallen people there. They did the same in 2014 with Donetsk and Lugansk, so we're not going to get anything there. But Putin is now using publicly in Russia as his final justification the denazifying, but Putin is mostly stating that Zelensky's words about nuclear missiles have been what uh, has pushed him to this. However, well, Zelensky stated anything about these missiles only after the 21st, and as we've seen, you know, Putin um, had plans already at that time, so that's just blatantly false. But will this even work? I mean, why, why does he keep keep saying these things, these, these obvious lies, if he knows that none of the Western powers believe him anyways? Sure, we have our own conspiracy theories, and before we started recording, I was just messaged by a new one, so just in case you hear this uh, somewhere, know that it's fake, because on 4chan and other sites, the claims are that this invasion is either fake or staged to distract from the deaths related to the COVID vaccine, which makes no sense. However, um, a lot of people in, in that community who are very much against, against vaccines, yeah, even in Latvia, they've also been spreading information. They don't know oh, all these videos are staged and fake. This info war stuff is just just scary.
0: Yeah, it's really terrifying, honestly, and it's probably just gonna get worse, particularly as this goes on. There's Ukrainian resistance against Russia. They're gonna adopt more Cold War doctrine. So there's gonna be more disinformation campaigns. They're gonna go heavy completely on this. But yeah, there is some weird theories going on around the moment. Like for these people who are anti, you know, vaccines, any kind of group getting together is, you know, automatically a anti-vax protest to them you know i could go out with five friends and be standing too close and they're going to label it as a protest i mean even in kazakhstan they had the same issues it came out you know all of a sudden everyone knew what rules had been in place in kazakhstan like you were getting comments i think the red line in particular we had a TikTok that went very viral explaining the conflict in kazakhstan and half of our comments were people just saying this is actually a COVID 19 protest and Kazakhstan had the strongest restrictions in the world for almost a year, which is completely fake. And, you know, all of a sudden people just knew what was happening in Kazakhstan. So it's not surprising that we're seeing narratives come out like this. There's also one we spoke about before we were recording as well, um, that they're saying that the Russia has invaded because Ukraine and US have bio labs within Ukraine, but there are no foreign bio labs within Ukraine. So there's just ridiculous maps going around at the moment, like showing where all these labs are. And they are completely fake, just completely digitally altered. People are creating synthetic media. And on that topic as well, there are so many images that are being reused, particularly ones from Syria uh, being thrown back in. You're even seeing them on CNN Portugal, I think. The Portuguese uh, sector of CNN were playing it in the background as well. Um, there are also images from Zelensky when he went to Donetsk a few weeks ago that are being used to show that he's like got a gun and he's out in full armor on the streets. Um, there was also the ghost of Kiev, that one going around. Unfortunately, that was fake, everyone. It was from a video
2: game. <laughs> oh, yeah. that Russia loves to use video games in their propaganda. At one point, they had used like something from Call of Duty at, at some point yeah. in, in there. It was just weird. But the weirdest thing, by the way, that I saw is uh, that recently, again, it was on, on anonymous internet boards, but someone had posted the, that um, Russia had killed a Ukrainian far-right terrorist trying to plant bombs in Donbass or whatever as a propaganda piece but someone who actually had to make make this and they showed the id picture but someone who had made this id apparently didn't like the war much either so what he did is um, he literally photoshopped sam hyde the provocative comedian in the picture that's incredible so right now there's a picture was showing sam hyde as this uh, really get of this this Ukrainian alt right nazi who's been killed in donbas <laughs> I hope hope that he finds out about this and and makes an appearance somewhere because it's Mm. just amazing.
0: Yeah, and I think this is happening a lot, though. Like, you know, you're seeing gaps kind of happen in the Ukrainian forces. You're seeing sloppy errors. And just on that, like, you know, Russia is notorious for their military, but their military is also notoriously sloppy. Like, they were leaving papers around yesterday. Uh, Apparently they had, you know, and one thing also that with these sabotages um, that are inside of Ukraine at the moment. Uh, A lot of them have been also sloppy with where they're leaving beacons and they've been painting X's on top of buildings as well. Um, And it's just been quite sloppy as well. The
2: locals, some of them found out, and actually there was a bit of a firefight between the cops and them. Yeah, it's weird because they're just in Ukrainian cities and painting this stuff, but they're getting caught. They're not trying too hard. If you remember the nice little Salisbury Cathedral move, then maybe you shouldn't be surprised about this.
0: Yeah, wait, which move? Didn't they just go see a cathedral? <laughs>
2: oh, the <laughs> the spire is beautiful. It's one hundred and twenty three meters high.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, there was a meme going around um, of you know there was some of like I think it was it was donks. I think they um the People's Republic. They had like you know, 22nd of February 2022 on a piece of paper and someone like put the Photoshop on and it was like, I'm here to see this cathedral.
2: (laughs) No, the biggest, biggest, actually, because this was tragic, but there are some weird stories from it as as they always are. One thing that that I like to talk about is I get messages on Signal and Telegram all the time about, about what's happening. And this came from one of my Lithuanian guys. His family is also in Ukraine currently. And there are reports that some local Gopniks had managed to beat up a a crew of of a Russian armored carrier car and just basically did a gobstop on them, beating them up, stealing everything they can, and then just delivering the car and the tied up Russians to the Ukrainian army. I can't verify this, but hey, this is coming out from people that tell me about all the other war stuff. And very nice if true. One good cheeky break if done, I would say.
0: Yeah, it would be great if it's true. But this is just an example of like, things are falling apart. And I don't think Putin realized how bad it was until now. Um, Whether that's his military falling apart, getting sloppy, doing this, you know, comedian on one of the cards, the identification cards, or you're seeing, you know, people across the world. I think it was one of the, the party leaders And a Russian diplomat came out today saying they're completely against what's happening now. Like I mentioned earlier, oligarch children turning against it. I didn't think he really really saw any gaps. And maybe that's just the delusion in his own head. But now I think they're really clear to us here.
2: Well, the oligarch's children are coming out because, for one, they like their stays in, in British colleges and all over the world. They want to be able to visit the West. Not like they live in live in russia they probably understand that well if the sanctions come down and they will eventually reach them as well and that they won't be able to do anything uh, so they kind of are forced to maybe move into action but yeah and to wrap this up i i think you'll agree with me that at least here in the west uh, it's very important to not share fake news to really read what's going on and not allow misinformation to take over but that's that's always been important and we've failed so far, but maybe maybe right now we should focus even more on fact-checking everything that we, we see online.
0: Definitely. It's super easy just to like, whenever you come across an image, just literally right click and see if there's anything that has been posted before, searching the keywords that you see in the image as well. If it looks fake, it's probably fake. Uh, see, who posted it. You know, if there's some random bot account with, like, an anime photo, then it's probably not someone, you know, credible. Uh, So it's really important. And on that, it's really important, actually, at this time, to, like, be careful with what media you're showing of Ukrainian soldiers and Ukrainian military. You don't want to give away what positions they're in. Um, You don't want to give away where large groups are, you know, stationed. you So we really need to also be careful about that and sharing, you know, because this is all open source. So this all can be found.
2: Yeah, and that's a a very important thing because that's one of the things that I've been reporting on this and I've been careful not to show the more revealing pictures. And, uh, well, we are all thankful that the the Russian soldiers aren't that careful now and then. And Oh, one final thing, though. Anonymous, uh, the hacker group, have apparently declared the cyber war on Russia. They managed to leak a bunch of data about the Russian Ministry of Defense online yesterday. Now, I think, I think it's taken down now, but they managed to do that. They took down Russian Times for, for a while, the RT, Russia Today, sorry, and uh, the Kremlin's main homepage also went down. At least we can see that uh, the weird hacker guys are actually doing their part as well, which is really nice.
0: Yeah, everyone's getting involved, honestly. But I think that's going to happen more in particular. I think as you know, Russia realizes that they're getting really strong Ukrainian resistance, we're going to see an influx in these indirect attacks, like cyber, for example, disinformation naturally. Um, but cyber attacks will have like an uptick in these next few weeks, for sure.
2: Well, we will definitely keep you updated. So, please comrades, stay safe, stay strong. Listen to the Red Line podcast. <laughs> please. <laughs> no, the the Red Line is a a way more formal show than this one usually. I tend to be a bit loose with uh, with my emotions and everything, but th- these guys are hardcore professionals and great experts in their field and they they have great takes on on many interesting subjects. Right now, I'm moving, moving towards the Polish border, and we'll see from there. If you want to support this show, then um, our Patreon is patreon.com slash the eastern border, or you can just go to our homepage, theeasternborder.lv, and press the donate button, and, and that, that'll help us move on and uh, do some good reporting from up closer. And finally, if you, if you really want to help, go and check out Ukrainian Charity's it's very important. One of the, I recommend you Google up is sauce army Ukraine. That is a charity that directly provides help to Ukrainian army and they use the money to buy ammunition for and everything. So like I said, stay safe and stay strong. And, uh, and happiness is mandatory more than ever. You can have your last words too, Petty.
0: <laughs> Just wanted to say thanks for having me. This was fun and very, very casual as well like uh like you said you know the red line is a little bit more <laughs> polished yeah well definitely check us out the red line podcast and you can follow me on twitter as well i'm um, at perrygt
2: please do we definitely will Das
1: Thank you for listening to the Eastern Border Show. If you have any questions or comments, go to our website, theeasternborder.lv and leave a comment there, or email us at theeasternborder at gmail.com. We'll be sure to answer. You can also follow us on social media and contact us there. If you enjoyed this episode, then leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends about us. It really helps us grow the show. And remember, happiness is mandatory.